John chapter 20. Please find that in your Bible. And before we read the account of the resurrection appearances of Jesus in John 20, I want you to remember that we read in John chapter 2 that Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus used sign language, not like you think, but the language of signs. Do you remember in John chapter 2, part of the temple compound where people worshipped was turned into a marketplace. The animals were being sold. The currency was being changed into temple currency so that people could offer their offerings and their sacrifices. And the business of the temple was interfering with the worship at the temple. And this was another sign of spiritual decline and the need for a true Savior to restore his people to true worship. And Jesus saw this mess at the temple and he chased out the merchants. He, what we call, cleansed the temple. He said, stop making my father's house a house of trade. And the religious leaders said, what sign, what sign do you give us to do these things. In other words, what authority do you have to cleanse this temple? And do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 2? He said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. I will raise it up in three days. You remember that? And they thought, how in the world are you going to raise up a temple in three days that took almost 50 years to build? They did not understand, John tells us, that Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. So we come to John 20. The time has come. The temple has been destroyed. They crucified Jesus. They took his body, they put it in a tomb, and on the third day, he arose. And he appeared to his disciples. And today, we are reading about the sign. What sign do you show us? Jesus said, destroy the temple, I'll raise it up in three days. Today, the sign is complete. Stand with me in honor of God's word. John 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping in, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take, care. I, I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. You may be seated. And a beautiful word it is. Three parts to this chapter. There's an empty tomb. And then there are the appearances of Jesus. And then there is the call to believe and have life. By the time we reach the end of John 20, though there is another chapter and we will be there, but by the time we reach the end of chapter 20, we read the summary sentence, the main purpose for the gospel of John, the point for the whole gospel, and it is that we may believe. Father, fulfill that purpose among us today. First, there's the empty tomb, the first 10 verses. It's Sunday morning. You've ever wondered, why do Christians worship on Sunday? There it is. It's Sunday morning. It's still dark. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, apparently, 
to add some more spices to the body of Jesus. Luke tells us that. We call her Mary Magdalene because she's Mary from Magdala. She was a follower of Jesus Christ. But previous to that, she had been troubled spiritually by demonic oppression. Seven demons had gone out of Mary. And now she is a part of this group of disciples of Jesus Christ, and she's helped support the ministry of Jesus from her own finances and from her own care. Mary was at the crucifixion because Mary loved Jesus. And Mary saw where Joseph and Nicodemus had laid the body of Jesus. And that's how she knows where to come. She comes back, and so here she is. She sees the stone has been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. She won't go in. She goes back to get Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, you know, that's, we believe that's John's way of referring to himself. He's the other disciple. Simon Peter and the other disciple are there. Now, I don't have time <clears throat> to go down every trail, but this one I have to stop at and say, did you notice what I just said? Simon Peter and John are together. Simon Peter, who denied Jesus. Would you go back to church on Sunday if you denied Jesus on Friday? Probably not. You'd stay home in shame. And you'd say, I can't go back to church and tell those people that I denied Jesus this week. And if someone walked in on a Sunday morning who denied Jesus on Friday, would you embrace them? I hope so. John did. They're together. It's a, it's a side trail, but I had to go down that one. Now Peter and John and Mary are back at the tomb. The tomb is empty of the body of Jesus, but it is full of signs that Jesus is alive. We see mainly this in the cloth, the linen cloth that Jesus was wrapped in, verses 5 through 8. Much has been made over the position of the linen cloth. What does it say to us? And the best explanation is probably the simplest explanation. And that is that the linen cloth is exactly where it was when it covered the body of Jesus, only that Jesus' body is not in it. Oh, but that face covering was folded and it was apart from the rest of the cloth. But that's because it was a separate piece of cloth that they wrapped around Jesus' head and they folded it as they did. What does all that mean? It simply means that all the cloth is exactly the way it was when it was around the body of Jesus, except it has no body. In other words, no one touched the linen cloth. No one unwrapped his head and then rewrapped it and folded it. It's exactly the way it was, except his head's not in it. Jesus is alive. John saw this, and he believed. For John, the empty tomb, the empty cloth, was enough 
He believed. Peter and John run back to their homes, though. And at this point, we have an empty tomb. That's all we have is an empty tomb. Another little side note I will take this morning is I have a great appreciation for the fact that John did not make up a resurrection sighting. You probably would have, and I probably would have been tempted to do the same. John did not say, I got there before Peter, Mary stayed outside, I went in. When I went in, I saw him in that cloth, and I saw him start to move, and I helped him get out, I unwrapped his head, and he came to life, and I folded that piece of cloth back up and I did all that before Peter and Mary could get back in there and I'm so sorry they missed it John has no worry whatsoever that neither he nor anyone else actually saw Jesus arise I appreciate that because many people have said throughout history that the disciples made up the resurrection And when we read this, we come to the realization that making up the resurrection is exactly what they did not do. John did not make up a resurrection. He did not say that he saw something he didn't see. All he said he saw was the linen cloth in an empty tomb. And that was enough for him to believe because he heard the words of Jesus in his ears. Destroy the temple, and I will raise it up on the third day. That's what we get in John is an empty tomb. But God gave more. Second, we have the appearances of Jesus. First, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. This is such a beautiful scene. Verse 11 through 18, it's such a beautiful scene. It's such a gift we have to read and to reread and to remember. Mary's at the tomb. Peter and John have run back home. Mary is at the tomb. She's weeping. She's worried, wondering where they have taken away the body of Christ. She looks into the tomb, and she saw the angels there, and, she, and they asked, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord. They've taken away my Lord, my Lord. I've committed myself to this man. I've, I've given up my life for this man. This man's given his life for me. He's delivered me from these demons. This is my Lord. They've taken away my Lord. He's dead, but if you'll just tell me where he is, I will care for him. I will take him away and take care of him. Just tell me. And she turns around outside the tomb, and there is Jesus. It's worth rereading. Verse 15, he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. He said, They're in a garden. The tomb's in a garden. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said to him, Teacher. He called her by her name. And how can we not hear? John 10, when Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me, and they follow me. Mary belongs to Jesus. Mary is a sheep of the good shepherd. The good shepherd has laid down his life for her. 
The good shepherd is now taking his own life up again as he said he would in John 10. She is known by name by the good shepherd and she knows his voice. He spoke woman she didn't recognize. He spoke her name and she turned and said teacher. He's called her by name because she is his follower. She is a believer. She is in the blessed state. She is in that state that is more blessed than any state. That state of being a sheep in the shepherd's fold, known by Christ. Mary needs nothing else from no one at this moment. She has everything. She's right where she needs to be. She is full and complete because Jesus knows her. And that is important for us to understand in our day when we think we need everything along with Jesus. Yes, Jesus, but there's so much more to have. Mary is in the blessed state. Blessed are those who believe. She is in the blessed state of knowing Jesus Christ is her Lord and her Savior. He will care for her. This is the most beautiful moment. If you could enter her world for a moment, and maybe you have. Maybe you are in that state. Maybe he's called your name and you hear his voice. Verse 17 is such an interesting verse. It almost sounds like a rebuke, doesn't it? Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your your God. But this is not a rebuke. He's not saying, stop touching me. No, he's not saying that. The simplest way to take this is the simplest way. To say, you don't have to cling to me like this. I've not yet ascended. I'm, I'm not leaving yet. I'm going to be here. Jesus was here for 40 days. He appeared to many other disciples. You don't have to cling to me. I'm still here. That's one meaning. But the other meaning, but I do want you to go tell my brothers that the time has come, the transition has come. I am going to transition now to move into a new state and I'll send the Holy Spirit and the relationship will be different. Go tell them. He's saying, you will see me again for 40 days. You won't see me again after Pentecost, but I'll be with you. So she went and reported. Then Jesus appears to 10 disciples. Judas is gone, remember? Thomas is not there, we're told. Sometimes they're called the 12 because he's referring to the whole group, but there's only 10 of them, and it's Sunday night. And the disciples are hiding, and the doors are locked, and fear abounds. They fear the Jews. Of course they do. Of course they do. They have yet to believe. They don't know if the body is stolen. Of course they fear. Fear is a part of living in this world. And fear abounds even for people who follow Christ. His people can be in fear today. But he appears, he speaks, he promises. And Jesus appeared to them and he spoke. And he said, peace be with you. He showed his hands, he showed his side. They were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, this is the inspired word of God. But I wonder why why John just said they were glad. I would think he would say they're doing backflips. They're overwhelmed. It's another beautiful moment. It's a moment now of commissioning. He's, verse 21, he's peace be to you. He says, be settled. Be focused. Be hopeful. Have my peace because I'm with you. 
I need that. You need that. The only thing that's going to give us that peace is a living Christ. The only thing that's really going to calm us is a living Christ, an alive Christ. I can talk myself up all day long, but I need more than my self-talk. I need to know that my Savior lives. That He's speaking my name. He's out of the tomb. He's victorious over death. Peace, He says. And then, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The mission was accomplished on the cross. It is finished. But, Jesus says, the mission's going to continue through the proclamation of that cross that is finished. I'm sending you. Next week, I intend to spend much more time on just that portion. We're going to come back and talk about the mission. But for now, we see that Jesus is saying, there's more to come. I'm alive. There's a mission. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's at Pentecost, Acts 2. I'm going to give you my spirit. And then this very interesting verse, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does he mean by that? It means that as we proclaim the gospel, we are putting forgiveness and unforgiveness before people. We are putting the choice before people as we proclaim the gospel. You believe to be forgiven or you don't believe and you will remain unforgiven. That authority is given to the people of God who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have the authority to forgive or not forgive. That's God's authority. The authority comes as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. That message has the authority to proclaim forgiveness or not to people. The point is, is that Jesus appeared. Jesus commissioned. They saw. They believed. And then he appeared to Thomas. Blessed Thomas. Thankfully, he's in the Bible. Verses 24 and following. Thomas was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. Thomas did not believe when they told him that Jesus appeared and was alive. Thomas demanded, I need to see it. I need to touch him or I will never believe. And Jesus was listening because Jesus is alive and he can hear and he hears every one of your demands. He might not meet them the way he did with Thomas's, but he met the demand. He met the, the doubt. Verse 26, he appeared, he heard, and he appeared. Let's read. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. And then he pointed out Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John, right there. It's the whole point of everything. Folks, there's no secret sauce to this. It's not a mystery hidden. It's not something for you to figure out. The whole point of everything is right there. It all comes down to that. That is the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe. Do not be unbelieving. Believe. And then Thomas. I love this. I love. I love the power of the gospel. Thomas, the doubter. Thomas, 
the foot stomping, never will I believe unless I touch and see. Out of his mouth comes one of the greatest Christological confessions in all the Bible and in all theology. He said, my Lord and my God. You cannot say it any clearer or more powerful or more real than that. To Jesus Christ, he said, my Lord and my God. Anything short of that. See, we would say, well, to, say, to call a human God is blasphemous. To call Jesus Christ anything short of God is blasphemous. He is God. This is a theological reality. It's the weight of it all. It's why the church gathers every Lord's Day, every Resurrection Day, every Sunday to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because He is Lord and He is God. It's, it's, it's the seriousness of this. It's why we don't play. It's why it's so urgent to go around the world with the gospel as well as to your neighbor and your family member. It's why. It's why this captures our entire lives. It's why nothing else compares to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because He is Lord and He is God. There's so much playfulness with Jesus. He's God. Through Him the worlds came into being. By Him it's all held up. And in Him all things are held together. He's God. Thomas, the doubter, sees Him, touches Him, and declares Him. But it's also personal because He said, He's my Lord and my God. The power of the cross and of the resurrection and of the Holy Spirit have led Thomas to make a personal confession my Lord and my God. That's what the baptism is. That's what the baptism is. It's not a cultural moment. It's not a rite of passage. It's not what grown-ups do. The baptism is the profession of faith, the personal declaration, this is my Lord and my God who captures every part of my being, who I rest my eternity on, this is the seriousness of what we're doing here. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, because it became personal and it must be. The sign is complete. The temple is destroyed. His body was crucified. And on the third day, he raised it back up. And Jesus has appeared to Mary and to the ten and to Thomas and Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 to more than 500 other brothers at one time and then to James, the Lord's brother, and then to all the rest of the apostles and to Paul himself. 
And that's what we have. We have an empty tomb. And we have the appearances of Jesus. And we have it recorded. And that's enough to believe. Now, it's not the end of John. It sounds like the end of John, but there's one more chapter. But it's a summary. It's in verses 30 and 31. Every part of the summary is important. John tells us that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Some of them were written down. Some of them are not written down. This one, the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrection, is written down. It's the greatest one of all. It's the great sign to which all other signs point. It's the saving event of all of eternity. This one is written down. The Gospel of John and all the Scripture is the record. It is fully trustworthy, but you must trust it. The Bible is fully trustworthy, but you must trust it and receive what it says. This is the only testimony you're going to get. This is the one that's enough, the record of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by it, the record, the Scripture, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the rebirth, we come to believe, and we must believe. We must, and it must be personal, and our belief must be specific. It does matter what you believe. That old line of it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe is not true. It absolutely matters what you believe about Jesus Christ. To be saved, you absolutely must believe that Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. The human being who lived at a particular point in history, in a particular place that you can put on a map. Jesus of Nazareth, the man. And you absolutely must believe that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. That means he's the chosen one of God to bring salvation to humanity. You have to believe that about Jesus. And you have to believe that he's the son of God that He's divine, and that He is eternal. It's very specific, this belief is. It's not general. It's not just you got to have faith. It's designed, the Scriptures are written, and the power of the Holy Spirit and the rebirth are designed to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ as He is. Jesus, the man of Nazareth, the Christ chosen of God, the Son of God, the divine one. And this confession changes everything it changes your life it transforms your life it is all consuming it determines your eternity it's everything and by believing we have life in his name this is the blessed life do not cheapen the gospel brothers and sisters do not cheapen the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by thinking that you need something other than Jesus Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. It is Christ and Christ alone. He alone gives life. You were made for spiritual life. You were made for spiritual life. You will eat lunch today and you will be hungry by nighttime. But when you eat and drink of Christ himself, you have life for eternity. Your soul was made for spiritual life. Your soul was made for God. You were made for God. And Jesus, 
brings you to God. And the life of God is poured into the soul of the believer for all of eternity. Some people have asked and even argued, is John evangelism for the unbeliever? Or is John exhortation for the believer to continue to believe? And the answer is yes. Of course it's evangelism. He's not even being sneaky about it. He's just telling you the whole thing is written down so you will repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Messiah and have life in His name. Evangelism, straight up, is somebody telling you about Jesus Christ so you will repent of your sin and come to faith in Him. You don't have to be sneaky. You don't have to hide it. I'm telling it to you straightforward. This is evangelism. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. Believe on His name and you will have life. And it's exhortation. Because evangelism is not the end. There's a whole life to live after you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a rite of passage. It's not a cultural thing. It's it's the beginning of a whole life. And therefore, you must continue to believe. The New Testament doesn't end with John. There's Acts. The Holy Spirit comes, fills the church. The church is on mission, living in the world, getting persecuted, getting killed. But the gospel is moving forward anyway. The church is strengthened. After Acts comes the epistles, a whole bunch of letters telling you how to live as people of the resurrected life, putting to death the old self, reckoning the new self alive to Christ, following him all the way to the end. And then the Then the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation that tells you that Jesus is going to return. He's going to put down death. He's going to to kill death. Death will die. And Christ will reign. It's a whole life ahead of you. So, is it exhortation to believe? Of course it is, because it's not over till it's over. And forward is one way by faith. So John is given to us as a gift Take it and read it. Don't say, oh, we finished John. What's next? Read it this week and next week and the week after. Live in it and all of the Gospels and all the Bible. Take it and read it. And, you know, take some with you. Take somebody with you when you read it. Show of hands. Didn't plan to do this. I hope this doesn't backfire. How many of you came to faith in Jesus Christ or at least were deeply influenced to come to faith in Jesus Christ by hearing or reading the Gospel of John? Let me see your hands. Look at that. You can't see. I can. It didn't backfire. There's a lot of people raising their hands. This is, take somebody with you. It's simple. Hey, would you like to read John? Why would I do that? I don't know. I'm going to read it. You want to read it with me? I mean, you don't have to be, you don't have to be smart about it. Just, Just do it. Why? So they can believe. And then read it again. So you'll continue to believe. Father in heaven, thank you for your word.